Welcome to the Adventures with Grammy podcast. This is your host, Carolyn Berry. Our guest this week is Dr. Amaka Namani, a pediatrician from Hershey, Pennsylvania, who is very passionate about breastfeeding. She is the Pennsylvania Chapter Breastfeeding Coordinator for the American Academy of Pediatrics and the moderator for the Dr. Milk Facebook group, an exclusive online community for female physicians who breastfeed and or are interested in learning about lactation. She also received two grants that were aimed at improving breastfeeding rates, especially in the young and black community. Amaka Namani's picture book is titled Zora's Quest, Mommy's Milk Rocks, a children's picture book about breastfeeding that is written from the perspective of a six-year-old little girl. Welcome, Amaka, to the podcast. Let's start by discussing why you wrote this children's book. So when I decided to start writing this book, I wanted to leave a legacy for my children, ages 10, 8, and 2. I'm a pediatrician, and within pediatrics, I have a few clinical interests, one of which is breastfeeding medicine. It was just something I was like, you know, it would be really cool if at bedtime we're reading a book and it's like, oh, let's pick mommy's book to read. That was kind of where it started. And then as I began kind of playing with the idea, I spoke to my 10-year-old. We had a conversation. My 10-year-old is a very, she's quite mature. She's like 10 going on 20. <laughs> she's, an, she's an avid reader. And I remember talking to her and telling her, hey, Amara, I, I want to write a book, a children's book on breastfeeding. And her response, and I, I, I'm pretty much quoting what she said, no offense, mom, but why will kids want to know about breastfeeding? Like, I see why kids want to learn about, like, why they need to eat vegetables or uh, brush their teeth. But why does a kid care, you know, to know about breastfeeding? And really, in that moment, I, I had to figure out like what my why was. I think that was kind of the moment where I thought to myself, that's a very good question. Like, yeah, it's fun to write a book and I want everyone to get on the breastfeeding bandwagon, but how could I make this relevant to a child? And so it took me a few days really to dig deep and, and try to answer that question in the most relevant and uh, honest way that I, I could. And, and I came up with the answer, you know, shortly after. I I, I called her back and we kind of had the conversation again. And, and I said, you know, Amar, I realized you and Ola, who's Ola is my eight-year, my now eight-year-old. Uh, so currently my girls is 10 and eight. I said, both of you have seen me breastfeed, like, since Tochi was born. Tochi's my son, who's now two. And I don't remember that Ola, you know, my younger daughter has ever seen formula. And as a pediatrician practicing in a rural area, I, I knew I knew that I knew that that it was not the norm for children to to see breastfeeding mothers. It was more it's more of a norm to see like a baby with a formula, you know, with a formula bottle. Uh, so we had that conversation. It's like I really want to normalize breastfeeding for for children. I, I want little girls growing up knowing, you know, this is normal, just like other mammals feed their young. Humans do it too, and I want girls growing up knowing that one day when their mom needs that this will be a natural, hopefully natural process for them, that they just know it's not necessarily going to be a walk in the park, but it's what it's what's natural, it's what's normal. 
And then I, in the process of doing that, I really want to entertain the, the kids because, you know, it's, children are more likely to learn when they are enjoying the process. And so that kind of started the beginning. And Amara and I, so one day, actually, we were making uh, dinner. It was back in February, on a cold February evening. Amara was like, you know what, Mom? I think I have an idea. And, and she started talking, and it was a fantastic idea. And I said, Amara, hold that thought. Get a pen, get a piece of paper, write that down. And that was kind of like the beginning. Uh, I actually have a snapshot of Omar's best first rough draft on my website. So that's kind of how this idea started. I am just so impressed that you included your daughter in your writing process. And that must make her feel really, really proud of herself. Very, very good. I have to tell you, Caroline, she's like really my critique group, my everything. She's, I, this book has changed quite a bit from the first draft. Before I made like major decisions, we would talk about it. When we started this book, there were two girls who were Zoe and Zara. I figured the best friend was kind of complicating the, the plot for a picture book. And I had to cut the best friend out. I, she, I kind of allude to her in the book. I, I, she has a mention somewhere. But I remember Amara crying and saying, Mommy, why? Who goes through a portal by herself? Like, we can't do this. That's the whole fun. No one's going to buy the book. <laughs> like, okay, Amara. <laughs> it's okay. So, you know, literally every day, multiple times. And then I tell you, she probably got tired of me asking her questions. But she's been a very big support system with this. Like, she, she pays really good attention to details. She's very creative, very imaginative, more than I am, honestly. And so, like, even with the pictures, as the illustrations came through, she's like, you know what, Mom? That Ziora has gotten this support. She should look cold. Like, her, her hands are just kind of hanging out there. She should look like she's cold. So she would pay attention to details that I wouldn't necessarily pay attention to. And then my eight-year-old, my little cute one, everything Mommy does is perfect. And she's like, Mommy, good job. Dr. Rowe really looks like you. So she's like my support system. Like, everything's great. And Amara's like, she's a great support system, but she's a very, she gives very constructive criticism. I take her, her criticisms, you know, constructive as they are, very seriously. That is so cool. Not a lot of authors have that much in-house support. Yeah, I'm very grateful. Let's talk about breastfeeding in general. I nursed all three of my babies. And as with your three children, there's a, quite a bit of age difference between my first child and my third child. And I was fortunate that the oldest child, who was seven when his brother was born, never expressed any kind of angst or embarrassment that I was nursing the baby when we went out. Is that your family's story? Is it similar or is it different? You know, I'll be honest. In the beginning, yes, sort of. Mostly actually with my now two-year-old. She'd be like, Mom, do you want to cover up a little bit? You know, so, but it's something that maybe when he was a few months old, granted he was, I told you actually a pandemic baby. He was born at the peak of the pandemic, July 4th, 2020. I mean, what a birthday to have, right? So we didn't <laughs> go out too much, but. Sometimes when we would, you know, maybe when he was about nine months older or, 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 yeah, slightly older, he would pay attention to that. But otherwise, not really. I have noticed throughout the years that the popularity of breastfeeding just kind, kind of comes and goes. My mother did not breastfeed my sister or me, and she couldn't quite understand why 
I wanted to nurse my children, and I was fortunate in that I discovered the La Leche League. I went to meetings every week, and I felt so comfortable because all of these women were nursing their babies, and no matter what issue I had, someone there had experienced it beforehand and could offer support and answer my questions. And I truly am grateful for that group. Breastfeeding is definitely becoming more popular. I think mostly because of increased awareness. There's there's becoming an increase in awareness, you know, from the medical side, from a social standpoint. Moms are becoming more vocal and open about their journey. And I think also that this includes even celebrity moms who would post on their social media about their own experiences or whatever it may be, whether it's support in terms of family or how difficult the journey is or how exciting it is. There's just overall still general awareness. But one thing that sadly remains consistent is the breastfeeding rates in the African-American community continue to lag those of other ethnicities and races. August is National Breastfeeding Month. And Black Moms Breastfeeding Week begins August 27th, which is the day you will launch your book. So tell us about those celebrations and their purpose. So yes, National uh, Breastfeeding Month is as an annual celebration. To be honest, I'm not sure how long that has been going on for. I, I have to kind of go back and, and remember, but it's it's an annual observance of of, uh, that, that basically kicks off with World Breastfeeding Week, which is usually the first week in August. And, and it basically continues with um, dedicated campaigns in support of breastfeeding awareness. So it's a month, you know, just dedicated to educating and empowering and, and supporting breastfeeding and normalizing it as it is. Again, I don't remember exactly what year. I know Black Breastfeeding Week but this year would actually be the 10th anniversary of Black Breastfeeding Week. National Breastfeeding Month is, um, but World Breastfeeding Week pretty much always starts off uh, the first week in, in August. That's a great social movement to raise awareness of the advantages of breastfeeding for both the baby and the mom. And for our listeners who aren't aware, will you? explain to them some of the advantages for breastfeeding to mom and to baby? Absolutely. I'd love to. There's a lot of them. So a few of the benefits to mom include reducing risk, mom's risk of breast cancer, reducing mom's risk of ovarian cancer, and increasing the chances of mom returning back to her pre-pregnancy weight um, earlier because of uh, basically the uterine contractions. Breastfeeding can also, and I, I say this pretty much with a clause, but it's, it's, it can be used as a form of contraceptive, especially in the first few months when moms are, if it's all, usually only if you're exclusively breastfeeding. Importantly, and I think that's something we don't remember to talk about as much, is the bonding that happens when a mom is breastfeeding her child. Studies show that moms who breastfeed actually are less likely to suffer from postpartum depression than moms who do not. And this is mostly because of the part of the brain that's stimulated um, and the hormones that are released that, that, that basically help 
with with increasing the mood of the overall mood uh, of, of moms. And this is, these are just a few of the benefits. And, and there actually are numbers in terms of the statistics of how much how much uh, how much breastfeeding reduces the rate of these of these diseases. And importantly, the more a mom breastfeeds, so it's basically a cumulative effect. The more a, bre- a mom breastfeeds, the numbers, you know, the, the less, the even less chances that she has of, of suffering from, you know, ovarian cancer or, or breast cancer. So for instance, a mom who has a cumulative number of, you know, let's say four or five years between the three children has a less likely chance of having breast cancer than a mom who would, you know, who has breastfed for maybe cumulative of two years. And this is kind of, it's not specific to each child. So it's, you know, let's say I have three children and I, and I, 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 I nurse them for an average of two years per child. So that would be six years. So it's kind of, you know, cumulative of that versus just, okay, I, I only nursed this child for one year. And so I only, I'm only dealing with that number. Hopefully that makes sense. Um, but those are some of the reduction risks for, for moms. And for babies, babies who, who are breastfed are less likely to suffer from ear infections. They're less likely to suffer from diarrhea, which is one of the most common uh, diseases we see in infants. They're also less likely to be picky eaters because mom's milk is flavored. So, you know, they are introduced to all these flavors through the breast milk. Several studies show that babies who, who breastfeed are less likely to suffer from obesity. Even as an even as adults, and this has been linked to to a hormone that basically has to do with babies knowing when they are full, like babies who are breastfed, knowing when they are full versus babies, versus formula babies, and you know overall babies who 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 breastfeed are less likely to to just be sick in general, and actually some studies, you know, there are not a lot of studies done on this, but babies who who breastfeed are actually more likely to have a higher IQ. So that's always a fun fact in some moms. Well, my three children are pretty smart, so I have to agree with that one. No, Karen, I think this is more, it's more evident in boys. Some of the studies have shown, like, it, it's a more evident, uh, obvious uh, increase in IQ with, with, with breastfed boys versus the girls. I'm not sure why, but. Wow, that's interesting. One of the issues that I encounter from time to time is that, as with my mother, there are many grandmothers who did not breastfeed their children, and they're perplexed when their daughters or their daughters-in-law choose breastfeeding over bottle feeding. Have you worked with families where grandmothers are jealous or they interfered with the breastfeeding because they wanted to feed the babies? And if so... What advice did you give them? Absolutely, I've had it happen several, several, several times. So it's it's not it's actually not uncommon, especially uh, um, I think with it sounds like maybe similar to your generation even. So in my office, what I would do is I actually would would advise the, the mom or mom and dad to come in with with the grandparent at the next visit if it's if it's possible, just so we can. We can talk more about what their concerns are or what all those feelings even. I, I, I like to validate those feelings. That's not really completely an abnormal feeling to have, especially, you know, as a grandparent who just kind of wants to bond 
you know, with their grandchild. Feeding a child, it's, it's a bonding moment, you know, for whether it's mom, dad, or grandparents. It's, it's an important time for them. And I think sometimes grandparents do feel like they are, like you rightly said, left out of the whole, of the whole deal. And, and again, in the end, it's up to the mom who's breastfeeding what she's comfortable with. But there are moms, you know, who feel like, you know, they want to go out on date night with dad and, you know, maybe they have a wedding to go to or, or what else she has to go back to work. You know, that's a good time to, you know, involve the grandparents, you know, especially if mom's, mom's having to pump. But also, even with that, and this kind of all ties in, but also explaining to the grandparents the feeding technique. Because for babies who are breastfed, it's very, very different when you're feeding them with a bottle than a formula-fed baby. You know, a, a breastfed baby who also nurses at the breast needs to do what we call taste feeding, you know, so that they are kind of simulating what they would do at the breast with mom. You know, several times I've had my my parents ask, okay, so he's six months old now or four months old now, do I move up a level for the bottle nipple? And the answer is almost always no, because if we think about it, mom, you, you as, a, as a nursing mom, you're not poking holes in your breasts, right, as the baby does, gets older. It's the same, it's the same nipple that's feeding. Um, and it's, it's basically the same process. And that's what we want to simulate when we feed from a bottle. But, but yeah, anyway, to answer the question, that is a valid feeling that grandparents have. And I try to involve them when I can. Sometimes a mom will say that she has to bottle feed the baby because the baby is crying all the time or not sleeping well and always seems to be hungry. How do you help those moms? So first of all, it's important to know the answer to that question a lot of times depends on the age of the child, right? So for a newborn baby, a lot of times in the first few days, it's not actually always hunger. That's the reason that they're crying. A lot of times it's especially, and, and, and this is within the scope of, of moms that are breastfeeding, right? Especially if they're breastfeeding exclusively, is sometimes it's just that comfort, you know, being around mom. You know, so it's important that moms, moms want moms and you know caretakers understand that fact number one, because I think that's the almost the number one reason why why moms think they're not making enough milk is they feel like well this baby is crying all the time so I must not have to be making enough and trust me even as a pediatrician interested in breastfeeding medicine I have fallen. Um, for this, especially with my first child, when you're clueless, it's like, I'm doing everything. Like, okay, this baby must need like a top off with formula so that she or he is better. And that's almost always not the case. You know, in the first day of life, children, their stomach is about, is about five cc. So that tells you about how much they can handle, not a lot. So it's just a lot of times just that comfort, wanting to, to be close to mom and that smell. When it is hunger, I always tell moms, it's important that you get your baby before the baby cries. Crying is always, always the last sign of hunger. Babies give you cues before. They will smack their, their lips. They'll root, which is kind of like reaching, um, trying to reach for the nipple. They'll give you a few signs. If you're getting them when they're crying, then you've missed at least two or three cues. So it's important to get them before then because then you are less, anxious you're less worried especially if it's your first child and you're kind of learning the process but the baby is also more patient because you're not super hungry 
you know, they're not, you know, they're not super hungry, so they're more likely to be patient and suck in and basically get all that they need. So it's important that we kind of know what those cues are. And as they get older, usually around two months of age, slightly younger, babies actually have different cries for different emotions. So they have a hunger cry, they have a pain cry. So as you, as, as a mom, you get to learn the different kinds of cry a baby has. I remember my babies wanting to nurse even when they were not hungry. And they needed that closeness and that comfort of being with me and just nursing for comfort. And there were times when I felt as if I were nursing 24-7. And I will admit those times were a bit much. But I had carried those babies inside me for nine months. And I was their whole world. And they still needed that closeness and comfort and security for me as much as they needed the milk. Yes, you know, there is nothing like it. It's, it's, it, you know, obviously we call breast, breast milk liquid gold. It's, nothing else can replace your milk. It's, it's an amazing bond that, that is, that lasts a lifetime. Yeah. One of the greatest lessons I learned from the women at La Leche League is that when you meet a baby's need for security, her trust in you grows. She knows she can count on you and that trust leads to a daughter becoming independent more quickly because she's confident and secure. She knows that you're there for her. And that was an important lesson for me. And I took solace in knowing that even when my babies were newborns, I was helping them grow to become confident and curious beings. I don't want moms who have chosen not to breastfeed to feel less than because they're bottle feeding their babies. And I know there are techniques that women can use when bottle feeding that will give their babies that sense of comfort and security that breastfed babies feel. So what advice do you give families who choose to bottle feed? The first thing I do is to find out why they don't want to breastfeed. You know, so it's, as a pediatrician, I found that a very, especially in the area that I that have, you know, that I practice, it's it's an important question to ask. And the reason I say that is, I dare say nine times out of ten, the reason is lack of knowledge. So I've had moms who who've told me, oh, you know, uh, with my other child, I. I was on Zoloft or some other relatively benign medicine like that, or like even a, a blood pressure medicine. And and my doctor told me I couldn't breastfeed because it would go through the breast milk. And and that's not true. You know, there's there's there there's very few medicines that are contraindicate there are contraindications to breastfeeding. You know, then I've had moms who say things like, you know, I had a breast augmentation, so I you know I don't think I can breastfeed, or uh, it's it's just it's just too hard. I, I I don't think I can do it. So the important thing for me, first of all, is to figure out why and to make sure that it is it is a, it is a it's the real reason is I really just don't want to. Because what I've found in asking that question is that a lot of moms actually do want to attempt breastfeeding. And most moms want to at least give it a try. So it's important, that, especially as an outpatient pediatrician, that we ask those questions. And so if it then, and then after all those, all those, after I've kind of figured out, you know, 
that this is the primary reason it's just not that. I, 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 I recommend obviously skin to skin, especially in the first few weeks of life. You know, that's a, that's a great bonding time. Just looking into your child's eyes as you, as you feed the child, even talking to your child, you know, doing funny faces and fun faces as a mom, as a dad, just doing diaper changes, interacting with your child. Like I said, speaking to your child, those are great bonding times that help with brain development, even if you're not necessarily breastfeeding your child. One of my favorite books is Touching the Human Significance of the Skin by Ashley Montague, an anthropologist. He published his book in 1971. I had to read it for a psychology class I was taking. And even though the book is rather intense academically, it is an important look at the advantages of the largest organ in our body, which is our skin. And Dr. Montague refers to studies throughout the book that demonstrate unequivocally the importance of touch and its many benefits, and especially to a baby's developing nervous system and the incredibly horrific and devastating effects when touch is withheld. It's a book I wholeheartedly recommend all families read because skin-to-skin contact is vital for a baby's development. Yes, absolutely. Um, there's there's a lot of benefits, even besides like the even besides the social emotional bonding. You know, it, it temperature stabilization. You know, because babies lose lose heat through their skin. You know, so physical, but there are also physical benefits to it besides just the the, the social emotional part of it. If I were a new grandmother, what would you recommend I do? to support my daughter or my daughter-in-law in her breastfeeding journey, because ultimately the entire family wins when there is a strong bond between mother and baby. Absolutely. So there are a few ways. One is validating the mom. You know, a lot of moms doubt themselves, especially if they're a first-time mom. So validating mom and helping her believe in herself and realize you know, you, you've carried this baby inside of you for all these months and, and you've birthed a beautiful baby. And as, as, uh, as difficult as it may seem, especially in the first few weeks of breastfeeding, you know, validating them and telling them you're doing a great job. I'm telling you, you can't say that enough to a mom that's breastfeeding, especially when your hormones are all over the place as a new mom. Uh, be understanding, be empathetic, be patient. Offer help. You know, ask, how can I help? Ask the mom, you know. So when, you know, when the mom is not breastfeeding, you know, the grandmother or granddad can take, can hold the baby. Again, that's a bonding time for you. As mom sleeps, three hours of sleep is like 10 hours of sleep in the first, in the newborn period. You know, so so <laughs> <laughs> I'm sure you remember those days, you know, because newborn babies sleep 10 to 12 times. Yes, newborn babies sleep ten to twelve times in a in a in a twenty four hour period. So that's a lot of every every two hours on the average. So that's a lot of times to, to to for mom and her body is going through a lot. So you know you could offer to take the baby so that mom gets a two hour stretch of sleep while um 
while the baby's not nursing, and then even helping with household stuff, you know, cooking. The grandma can help us, you know, granddad can help with cooking or baking, watching the older siblings. You know, the things that may seem little are, are really a big deal in, the, in those first few months. So those are a few ways that uh, the grandparents can get involved and, and, and still bond with your grandchild, you know. So, and like you said, everybody wins. One of the things that I did to help my daughters-in-law when there was a new baby was to take the older siblings to a park or to a museum for a couple of hours so that mom could have a few hours to herself with just the, the baby. It gave her time to bond with the baby without the older children competing for her time, and it gave me special time with my older grandchildren. And we were having fun, and we could talk about the baby. And I could help them adjust if they were having some difficulty accepting the new brother or new sister. Exactly. And, you know, that's a great um, thing to talk about because I actually touch on that topic in my in my book. So my book, you know, basically is about uh, uh, Ziora. Ziora is a six-year-old six-year-old big sister she waits for a baby sister for about a year finally gets her and then realizes well being a big sister wasn't quite as fun as I thought it would be you know is this baby gonna ever play with me or talk or walk why is she a mommy's breast so much you know so older siblings can actually feel a little bit jealous and that is a normal response so when that's another way that grandparents can come into the picture and help because when you're out with, with your older grandchild, talking to them about their feelings, validating them again and letting them know you're still very special. I know this baby's taking up so much time, but you're very special. I remember when you were a little baby, you you mommy nursed you like that. You know, mommy you, you were you were everything and you still are everything. But spending that one on one time with the older sibling is very important to help with those feelings and even helping them to be part of the whole process. So sometimes older siblings can feel left out. So having them be part of the process, can you please help get, you know, your sister or your brother's diaper or, you know, helping them, having them help even at bath time while you, while the mom or dad or granddad or grandmom supervises, things like that. So that's an important, important thing to, uh, to be aware of is, is the feelings of the older siblings, even as they go through this transition. And the other thing that can happen, especially because I know grandparents will, you know, oftentimes have their older grandkids, you know, have sleepovers at their house and things like that. So another thing that can happen is for a child who had been earlier, like potty trained, can actually regress. So you may have like a four or five or even six year old who was like using the potty, you know, without being prompted and they're wetting the bed at night. And that often that can that's very normal to happen after the birth of a baby or sister or a brother, you know, as almost like a stress response. So talking about it, talking about that with them, and, and not and you know having them not be so embarrassed, and and maybe just you know if you realize it's something that's happening frequently, obviously talking to your pediatrician, but but uh, maybe waking them up a few times at night or at least once at night to go use the bathroom. I always had the new baby bring a present to his or her older siblings. It was a way of saying, I know I'm going to be taking up a lot of mom's time, so here's this really cute new toy that you can play with. 
I love that, not the other way around. I love it. That's actually a new one for me. I think I'll steal that. <laughs> Another trick I had was to put aside a couple of toys that the older children only were allowed to play with when I needed to rest. I would put them on the bed with me and let them play with these toys. And I would be in that sleep, no sleep zone where I was resting, but yet I was aware of what the children were doing. And just laying still, even if I didn't sleep, just being quiet for 20 minutes would rejuvenate me and make such a difference. And when rest time was over, I would put the toys away until the next rest time, and it worked. Hmm. Hmm. That's fabulous. I like that. I mentioned La Leche League earlier, and I wanted to emphasize the importance of this organization. The members are moms who are experienced with nursing babies, or they're just learning about nursing babies, or they're pregnant and they want to learn about breastfeeding. And so... There are groups all around the world. Lots of times pregnant women come so that they can prepare for when they have their babies. And grandmothers come often to help support their daughters and their daughters-in-law. And I love the support and the encouragement I received from the women who knew exactly what I was going through. And I credit those women for molding me into the mother and the grandmother I am now. I not only learned about breastfeeding, but I learned about child development and how to help little ones blossom. And I have stayed in touch with women from the Leche League that I met more than 40 years ago. Absolutely. You couldn't be more right because, you know, it takes a village. It really does. You know, breastfeeding is it's not necessarily a walk in the park, you know, even when you have the greatest, you know, the, the greatest experience in terms of like your body responding to your milk production. It's tasking on the body. So yes, I, we can't overemphasize, we cannot overemphasize the importance of having a support network, both, you know, your family and for moms who don't have that, like you rightly said, a support group. And La Nature League is, is, is one of the best. Uh, a lot of other support groups are, are available as well. And there's virtual support groups now. I actually am a catch, a grant recipient for a, uh, through the Pennsylvania Department of Health to improve breastfeeding rates, again, in the African-American community. And you have support, like once a week, we would have like a virtual support group. And and there are lots of them, you know, if, you, again, you could just probably do a Google search of breastfeeding support groups near me. The library is a great place to even start from if you're a mom who's breastfeeding and not sure where to start. You know, asking your doctor, and if you don't necessarily have like, you know, a breastfeeding savvy or breastfeeding friendly doctor, go to your public library using Facebook. Facebook is a powerful tool I've come to, I've come to learn. You know, I'll be honest with saying I was not a very, I was not pro social media up until maybe a few months ago after writing my book. And I'm realizing there is power in social media. You can definitely use it to your good. There's a lot of information out there. And yes, you learn a lot. You build friendships. Uh, I, I was talking to a nurse at work the other day who was talking to me about my book and she said, you know what? I have friends that I met from the related support group from 35 years ago and they're still friends. They still meet every Saturday, 30 something years later. You build friendships that last a lifetime because 
you bond in a way that no, you know, nobody else understands really, because you're going through the same thing at the same time. And that's a fantastic way to bond and make those lifetime friendships. So yeah, I am a big supporter of support groups. It's, it, it goes a long, long way. And then again, it's another way to validate you as a mom, you know, reminding you what a great job that you're doing because other moms are there for you. So yeah, I agree with you. Tell us again the title of your book, a bit about it, and where listeners can find you and your book on the internet. Sure. So the title of my book is VRS Quest, Mommy's Milk Rock. So my roots are Nigerian, and I, I grew up in Nigeria until I was about age 16. So Nigeria is still home to me. I still say I'm from Nigeria. Um, Ziora actually is a Nigerian name. So Ziora, I'm from a tribe in Nigeria called the Igbo tribe. There are three major tribes in Nigeria. The Igbo tribe is one of them. So I am Igbo. Ziora means show the world. That's actually what the, the name means. And in my book, Ziora, like I, I said earlier, is a six-year-old girl. But one, one thing I try to bring a little bit of my culture in besides your name, the clothes that she wears, like her dress and her rompers in the book, are actually made from a fabric um, that's of West African origin and, and fondly worn in Nigeria called Ankara. Ankara is known to have very, very bright colors and just kind of gives you a feeling of like happiness. So she wears that. Um, so yeah, so that's a little bit, a bit about my book and uh, or about, you know, basically the title of my character. So in terms of the title, Diora's Quest, so it's a quest because she's had she's she's wondering a lot about mommy's milk and why it's such a big deal. And so she's magically transported to a fantasy land where she learns all these fun facts about breastfeeding with her uh, with her daughter, her, her favorite well, her pediatrician who she loves and, and adores um, in the book. And the mommy's milk rocks is a subtitle because you know, breast milk rocks. It's just pretty awesome. So we, we talk about all the fun reasons why it rocks. It, it'll be available August 27th um, on Amazon and in major retail stores. It will be on Ingram Spark. I also have a website, www.dramakandamani.com. So it's D-R and my first name and last name, D-R-A-M-A-K-A-N-N-A-M-A-N-I. Dot com And the book is actually available for pre-order. And I should have it available for pre-order, hopefully by the time this airs, or which hopefully should be at the end of this week. The official, I will also be having a launch party uh, on August the 27th, open to the public uh, in Hershey, Pennsylvania, from 1 to 4 p.m. And details as well will be on my website. I can be found on LinkedIn at Dr. Amaka Namani, on Facebook as Amaka Namani, and on Instagram as Viora Quest, which my Instagram page, like I, I think I, might, I mentioned earlier, not, I wasn't a really big fan of social media, so I am still building my social media pages. Um, and then also on, on Pinterest, I am uh, Amaka Namani. As always, the links to the organization's the websites and the books we mentioned during the podcast are in the show notes. And if you go to the podcast webpage, which is adventureswithgrammypodcast.com, you will see a webpage dedicated to Dr. Namani 
with all the links as well. I have so enjoyed our conversation. Is there anything we need to talk about that we haven't, that grandparents and parents need to know? I think we mostly talked about everything, but I, 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 always, I, would, I would like to end with, you know, for our moms out there who are breastfeeding or pregnant and considering breastfeeding, do it, you know, um, get a support system. Do not quit on your worst day. I, I like to tell my mom this, and I think that's even a life skill. You know, we are going to have good days and bad days, but it's important that we push through it and try and remember to ask for help. You, you're not supposed to do this all by yourself. And, and, and again, that's where our grandparents come in. But um, I, I'd like to say thank you to all the moms out there that are rocking it out and, and doing their best. Um, being a mom is, is such an amazing calling, breastfeeding or not. And I just want to shout out all the moms and grandmoms and granddads and dads out there rocking it out. You're doing a fantastic job and, and trust yourself through the process. I hope you have enjoyed today's episode of the Adventures with Grammy podcast. You will find the links to our guests and the topics we discussed in this episode's show notes. If you would like to be a guest or if you know someone who would be an awesome guest, please connect with me at carolyn at adventureswithgrammy.com.